Last Sunday evening we began looking at this chapter. We saw the first seven verses about how King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon set up a golden image of himself and demanded everyone bow down and worship it, worship him. And the golden image was, if you recall, it was in response to Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream back in chapter 2, where his kingdom was the first of four kingdoms represented by a statue. But this image is him saying, no, I'm, I'm the king and my kingdom's the one that's going to endure. So you got to bow down and worship me. And we talked about how idol worship is a real thing. We are created to worship, but because of sin, we often find idols. We often make idols in our hearts. We substitute those things with uh, for true worship of Jesus. And often our faith in Christ is subjugated to things which in the end never really satisfy us. It's like finding your joy simply in sports. There's always going to be next season when your team doesn't do as well. Um, but Jesus Christ is always king. And we've got to flee from idolatry. We've got to guard ourselves from idols. And tonight we're going to see an example of some people who did that. Uh, in Daniel 3, we find three men who did find that satisfaction in the Lord. And this is a long passage, so we're going to take it in bits. We're going to try to cover the rest of the chapter this evening. So we're going to start in verse 8 and see what happened when not everyone bowed down. Verse 8 says, For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Now before we move on, let's pray. Father, uh, I pray as we've now read your word, and we'll do more of that, that you will speak to your people this evening. And I pray, Father, that we will be moved to further faithfulness because of the faithfulness we see in you. It's in Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Um, last Sunday, I pointed out that Nebuchadnezzar is, is kind of a preview of that end times figure in Revelation we know as Antichrist. Um, and if that's the case, and I do believe it is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show us a picture of Israel in the last days, in the tribulation, in which Israel is going to find itself the enemy of the beast. The tribulation is called in the book of Jeremiah the time of Jacob's trouble or Israel's trouble. You know, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And in that day, Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship the beast, everyone whose name has not been written down from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. That will happen in time. And likewise here, 550, 600 years before Christ, everyone worships Nebuchadnezzar except the faithful. Now, I want to take a second, and you may have asked this question before, but what about Daniel? 
you know, what about Daniel? Because he's not mentioned in this passage. Well, I don't know. Uh, is is the the honest answer? Only these three are accused by the Chaldeans here. So we know they didn't bow down and worship the image. I'm I'm convinced we can be sure Daniel did not either. Um, some have speculated that he may have been away on some sort of official government business. Remember, he was in the service of the king of Babylon and rising the ranks. And so um, he may have been away. That's certainly very possible. But for whatever reason, he does not come under fire here. And I, I mean that as a pun. Uh, but uh, the Chaldeans, they are a jealous bunch. Okay, uh, In chapter 2, they are among those who can't interpret the king's dream. He he goes to them first, and they can't do it. But with Daniel, his friends are praying, and Daniel does. And the Chaldeans are jealous because these young men who are doing this, they're Jews. They are pathetic Hebrews. They are un, in subjugation to the Babylonian Empire. They are, are, are here, and now they're gaining favor with the king, and they're placed above them in, in certain respects. So what better way to gain stature before King Nebuchadnezzar and to get rid of the Jews than to really have them gotten rid of? They see this as an opportunity to eliminate who people they see are enemies and rise the ranks themselves. And so they say, O king, live forever. And the text we see here says they brought charges against the Jews. And the Hebrew uh, that this is written in, the, the, the meaning of this means they ate the pieces of, which is kind of a, a, a way of saying that they were um, tearing them to pieces, tearing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to pieces with their accusations. We have an English idiom of eating someone's lunch. And that's kind of the, the, the thought here. The bottom line is they are strongly slandering these young men. And for it to be slander, that means there has to be a lie. And there was a lie here. Because they accused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, saying these men have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. There is a lie there. And we'll get to that. Um, because like Satan himself has been doing since the beginning, they mixed the truth with a lie. It's true these men had not served Nebuchadnezzar's gods. It's true that they did not bow down to worship the image. But there is no evidence they, that they disregarded the king. There's no evidence that they showed him disrespect. It's, it's yet another way this is a preview of what's to come in, in, in the future for the faithful and in the present actually because Jesus comforts us. And he also warns us at the same time in Matthew five eleven in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And that's what was happening to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the question becomes, how will the king respond to these allegations? And we begin to see that in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger... Two things that kind of mean the same thing, so it's intensified because these words are both here. It shows you the intensity of the emotion. In rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? 
Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Strong words there, especially at the end, because Nebuchadnezzar, remember, is king of the most, the most powerful empire the world really had known up to this point. He, he's the most powerful man in the world, and yet he can't conquer himself here. He can't conquer his own emotions. In rage and anger, he orders these young men to be brought to him. And these young men had served him very well up to this point. Now, they, they had obeyed the God of Israel in, in respect to what they would eat. And they were allowed to do this. And that goes back to chapter 1. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, actually. But now here they are, and they're serving him well, and yet they are brought before him because of these allegations. And note that he doesn't repeat the accusation that they had disregarded him. And why is that? It's because he knew better. These men had been in service to him by, for some time at this point. And, and so we don't get the answer of the young men in verse 14. We are left to assume that they either confirmed the truth they no, we didn't bow down. No, we didn't worship the image. Or maybe the king simply assumed it was true and moved on. But instead of, of just punishing them on the spot, maybe because he knows how valuable they are to him personally, he gives them a second chance. He says, now if you are ready, when the music plays, if you bow down, everything will be fine. All will be well if you bow down, but if not, the furnace of blazing fire. And, and note here what must have seemed a rhetorical question at the end of verse 15. What God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? King had a very short memory considering the role these men along with Daniel had had in interpreting a dream his wisest men could not. But as it turns out, Nebuchadnezzar would find out about the God who could deliver. And, but first, he would see some faith that his fire could not burn. Let's look at 16 through 18 now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Old Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There are times when you don't need to take a step back and breathe. There are times you don't have to debate the pros and the cons. Because if you do, you'll often wind up on the wrong side. You'll often think a little too much about it and find a way to justify the wrong choice. That's one of the reasons why the scriptures say flee from idolatry. Because if you play with idolatry, the battle's already been lost. 
You'll find a way to justify your wrong choice. You may even find a way to feel good about a decision you know in your heart is the wrong one, is the bad one. But when faced with the choice of denying their God by bowing down to the image or facing the fiery furnace, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did not need to debate. The ultimatum they're given is not unlike problems which confront us every single day, actually. We aren't threatened with a fiery furnace, but will we bow to external pressures to compromise our faith? Will we bow down to uh, the things even inside us, the war that rages within us as we battle our flesh to give in to temptations? Or will we be guided by our eternal internal principles, which are guided by an eternal perspective and grounded in our faith in Christ and are governed by His Word. Now granted, the consequences of our choices usually don't involve the possibility of death. But the ultimatum is still the same. What would you do in this situation? I wonder tonight how many of us can say, you know, are we really wanting God to send us to places our faith will have to be made stronger? Are we really willing for God to send us into places in our lives where we will have to be completely dependent upon the presence of our Savior. We are commanded by God to submit to the authorities He's placed over us. But when those authorities give us ultimatums of worshiping God through obedient faith or bowing down to some golden image, rather it be some piece of legislation or an actual idol statue, or some form of entertainment that really is an abomination to God, but, man, it's funny. When we are asked to do these things by the culture, will we do that, or will we do something in obedience to the Bible? I wonder when we are faced with a choice between rather to compromise our faith to preserve ourselves temporarily or make a stand upon faith because our God is eternal, will we say with the disciples as they did to the Sanhedrin in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. The duty of the church, uh, of those who have been called out by God, is to remind the state or the world, or our families, that authority belongs to God. And if it is the state, then even the state is a divine institution accountable to God. Believers are to to submit to the authorities with words, and if necessary, by laying down our lives. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, when they are faced with a choice, they don't need to debate here. Did they recognize the possibility they would lose their lives? Yes, they did. But did they rest in the knowledge that for those who trust in Yahweh, it is not death to die? You know, I've heard some tonight about a a funeral and one of your own dying. And I've heard of the joy that has come 
Because that person is now in the presence of Christ. You know why? Because it, for a believer, it is not death to die. Unquestionably, their confidence was not in themselves, and it wasn't in Nebuchadnezzar, but it was in one true king, and that king was God Almighty. They had faith that fire could not burn. And what does faith fire can't burn look like? Well, first, it's faith in the power of God. Look again at verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Our God whom we serve is able. Three men facing the king of the world for all intents and purposes, knew Nebuchadnezzar, as powerful as he was, was not ultimately sovereign. God is sovereign. Faith fire can't burn flows from a heart, and not just a head, that trusts in the sovereignty of God. He is able, and they believed it. After all, their God had already created the world, destroyed it with a flood, preserved it with eight people and animals, formed a people from a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old wife, preserved them through 400 years of slavery, delivered them miraculously from Egypt, given them their own land, given them a kingdom, and remained faithful to them even as they were unfaithful to him, and he exiled them to Babylon. They believed God was able to deliver them. So facing a fire seven times as hot as usual, they had a firm conviction in the sovereignty of God in the midst of everything in the world saying, are you stupid? They had faith in the power of God. But their faith was also in the purposes of God. Notice what they say here. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Can I just point out, as a quick aside, that the respect these three continue to show for Nebuchadnezzar, even though they vehemently disagree with him? O king, they're addressing him with respect. That should be a lesson to us, even when we disagree with our leaders. But, but, but look at these important words. Even if he does not. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image. Those are the words of faith. Faith that's not afraid of fire. Faith convictions that fire can't touch. Words... That, that, that echo what Jesus would later say in Luke 12, 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. When we're in trouble, when we're faced with an illness or one of our loved ones is, we hope God will fix it. We hope God will fix a lot of things. We hope He'll fix our lives, our our families, our relationships, our jobs, our financial situation, maybe even our country, our world. And maybe we even know for certain that He is able, that He can do it. And in fact, that He will, in time, make all things right. We know He can make anything right anytime He wants. 
we have faith in Him for these things to fix things. But what if He doesn't? Faith fire can't burn doesn't merely know God is able to deliver. Faith fire can't burn trust in His purposes even if He does not fix it. Your faith doesn't waver. Even if your liberty to worship God was taken away from you. If your liberty to to obey Him as we see in Scripture was taken away. Let's say by judges or by some state-sponsored human rights council as, as has happened in our country in the past few years to certain people. Would we trust Him? Would you trust Him? If you no longer have a house to live in, if you no longer have a car to drive, clothes to wear, a bed to sleep in, a shower to keep you clean, food to eat, would you trust Him? What if obeying God meant you lost your job, you lost your benefits, you lost your retirement? Would you trust Him? Even if your sick child never got better, would you trust Him? Even if obeying God meant being castigated by society, would you trust Him? Even if faithfulness meant the rupture of your closest and longest lasting relationships, your friendships, even if it meant estrangement from parents and children and family, even if it meant your marriage got rocky and perhaps you lost everything, would you trust Him? And even if it means you watch the people you love die and then you lose your life, Would you wholly trust Him? Beloved, are you willing to submit to the will of God even if He doesn't deliver you from your problems? It's easy to say God will heal, God will deliver, but we know that doesn't always happen in this life. What then? What if you pray and He says no? What if you do die? What if your family member does die? Will you? What if you, like Paul, have to count all things lost for the sake of knowing Christ? What if you go through something like Job went through? Are you prepared to say, though he slay me, I trust him? Are you prepared to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done? I imagine Daniel 3 will be of great benefit to Jews who come to trust in Jesus during that tribulation period. This story is representative of that. Faithful Jews under fire from the king of the world. But it should comfort us as well. At least I hope it would tonight. Beloved, we need a whole lot of if he does not faith. Even if he does not. I will never leave you or forsake you. We need faith that believes God when He says that. Even when it seems our world is crashing down around us. We need faith that knows God's purposes might not include His deliverance in this here and in this now because we have faith to know we will be delivered into eternal life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have rationalized Let's just bow down. It's not as if we're really worshiping Him. God knows we're not really worshiping this God in our hearts. This idol isn't even real anyway. They didn't think 
Hey, our ancestors were guilty of idolatry and God forgave them. No, they said, we will not bow down. We will not serve your gods. We have to take a stand. And you and I need the Christian integrity that stands with God even when it does cost us. We need the kind of Christian integrity, the kind of faith that means it when we quote that great verse from Paul in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had what we need, an uncompromising commitment to the Word of God and to stand true because the world demands we worship idols, money, promotions, comfort, good grades, popularity, happiness. But we can't follow those things if we have real faith in the power and the purposes of God. These three men may have hoped for deliverance, but they had no way of knowing what would really happen. But still they had faith. But let's continue. We've got to move on. Daniel 3.19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So there's a sense he really wanted them to bow down, and he didn't want to, he didn't want to harm them. But here it changes, and he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Beloved, some people want to sell you a fake version of Christianity that means you'll be healthy and you'll be well off and you'll be happy. And that's a version of Christianity where... If you're facing trials, it's because you didn't have enough faith. I've heard people say that to me. I've heard people tell my grandparents that in the hospital as one of them is dying of cancer. It's a fake version of Christianity that says you can be happy and you can live a great, but your best life. Don't believe that. Don't, don't believe it when Jesus says a student is not greater than his Teacher, a slave is not greater than his master. If they hate me, they're going to hate you too. Don't believe it when 12 apostles, 11 of them were killed for their faith and the 12th was exiled to a remote island. Don't believe it when Paul was beheaded, when Peter was crucified upside down. Don't believe it when Christ was crucified. Don't believe those lies. Jesus He's he's just not preoccupied. The, the, the main purpose, the main the main motivation, the main priority of Jesus is not our earthly happiness. We need to know that. It's not all about right here and now. He didn't come and die on the cross so that we could be fulfilled in this life, in this earth in this world filled with sin. He came that we might not perish, but have everlasting life. 
He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And so I'm not here to sell you a bill of goods tonight. In Christ, you may have a very hard life and you may have a very hard death. But God will still be God and God will still be good. Your faith might cause the world to burn you, but God will still be your Savior. Your faith might cause that to happen, but as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew, it's worth it. They're thrown in the fire, a fire so hot, the men who throw them into the fire die. But the bottom line is, even though 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all who desire to be godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and even though God doesn't promise earthly success and happiness, fire or a faith fire can't burn also believes in the ultimate provision of God. We trust in the power of God, the, the, the purposes of God, and the provision of God. Even if He does not, faith results in trust in the ultimate power of God to provide. Look again at verses 24 through 27. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. I wonder if they were in the furnace meditating on Isaiah 43.2, which wouldn't have been written two, well, a couple centuries before this, but it says... When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. They knew God could deliver him or them, but they didn't know he would. Yet up stood Nebuchadnezzar, and he couldn't believe it. Why are there four men in there? And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And he says this, by the way, probably not familiar with what are called theophanies, which are appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament before His birth. You know, God appears in some bodily form several times in the Old Testament. Um, Earlier tonight, the garden was brought up. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day. He appeared to Hagar. He appeared to uh, Abraham along with two angels. He appeared to uh, Abraham. Uh, he, he wrestled with Jacob. He appeared to, Mo, uh, to Moses in, in the burning bush. Um, he also appeared to the parents of Samson and others. Maybe it was an angel that, ha- that did this or one of the, the Old Testament appearances of Jesus. I believe the latter, by the way. Um, 
we could go into that more on another night. But what we know for sure is that he looked like a son of the gods, and I do not believe those words are an accident. A man who had no concept of the one true God said that. And, and we know for sure God sent this fourth man to be with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to preserve them in the fire. Beloved, Jesus is the God who can deliver you from anything. If you trust in Christ, He is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And He will be with you wherever you go. Whatever you are facing. And I do mean whatever. To provide you strength. To provide you comfort. He, he may deliver you from a problem in this life. And the Lord knows. And I know He has delivered me from, from problems. But that doesn't mean there aren't problems that, I, that, that still happen, right? Faith, fire, can't burn, knows God always provides. And faith, trust in His provision. Faith, trust in the eternal yes, even when the answer is a temporary no. Faith, fire, can't burn, is in the power of God. He can, the purposes of God, even if He does not. The provision of God, He is with us. And finally, faith, fire, can't burn, is in the person of God. Let's look at the end of the chapter, beginning in 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, which is another word for messenger, and delivered his servants who put, up, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as to not serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no god, no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. You know, back in verse 15, the king had defiantly asked, What God can deliver you from my hands? And in verse 29, he finds out. And it's not just any God. It's not Dagon. It's not Asheroth. It's not Baal or, or any of the other Babylonian gods. It's the Most High God. Now, sure, these three had internal, internal principles, but their faith was not in their principles. It was in a person. Their clothes weren't burned even if they, well, you know, they didn't even smell of fire. So it had to be God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith in a personal God who loved them personally and saved them personally and in this instance protected them personally. Your faith has to be in the right person. It can't be in your pastor or your president or your country or your mother, or your father, or your grandparents. And it can't be in your heritage, even if it's a Christian heritage. It can't be in your church. Your faith must be in the fourth person in the fire. Now, was Nebuchadnezzar saved here? I don't think so. Not yet. Chapter 4. We'll get, you know, go read that later. He admitted God was the most high God, but I don't think he was quite there to admit he was the only God. I don't believe he was converted here. Still a polytheist. 
he was simply putting God on top of a pile. And, and, and I guess that's how I want to close tonight. Because many of us here here tonight, and I thank God you're here, but we've got to be careful not to put God on top of the pile of other gods. Beloved, don't live your life with quasi-respect for God, because that's not faith. Don't make God the first of many gods in your life, the first among idols. We can't merely respect God. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing at the end of chapter 3. A faith that fire can't burn is holy in him. To put it another way, Paul does in Colossians 3 verse 4, Christ is our life. The mind of faith, that this even if he does not kind of faith, is set on things above, not on the things of the earth. So where does that leave you tonight? Friends, if you aren't genuinely trusting in this God who provides, you need to come to Him tonight. He sent His Son into the world to deliver sinners from an eternity. An eternity that will be a much worse fire, actually. You've got to know you're a sinner You've got to know that Jesus bore the penalty for sins on the cross and He has risen to be a living Savior. You've got to repent, believe, and follow Him. And even if you do have faith in Christ tonight, we need to be reminded of these things. Why do you think the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was so strong? It was because they were sure God was able to save them. And and why were they sure? Because they, no doubt, had a knowledge of what He had already done. And we need to be in our Bibles. We need to be wholly committed to the Word of God because that's how God has chosen to speak to us. Beloved, beware not to be enslaved by substitutes for that. True freedom comes from faith that knows God is God no matter what. So we must know the Word of God so that we will know the God of the Word. And we may not be delivered in this life. Our beloved family members who go through sicknesses and And things may not be delivered in this life. Things in the world might get harder for Christians. So let us not necessarily pray to be delivered. I mean, it is okay to pray to be delivered. But let's make sure we're also praying that even if you do not, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my faith not fail. Lead me to a place where I do have to depend on You, in the the presence of my Savior. Lead me to a place where my faith has to be made stronger. We're going to sing It Is Well in a minute, according to what I read on my bulletin. And I can't remember off the top of my head who wrote that song, but I do remember roughly how that song came about. The man who uh, wrote it, his family died in a shipwreck. The, or the ship sank. He lost his family. 
And so he said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when storm clouds like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, and I hope I'm getting all the words right, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's a song that could have been written after the fiery furnace. And tonight as we sing that, think about whether or not you mean it. Let's pray. Father, I am convicted as I stand here and preach this because I know how often my own faith seems to fail. But we thank you that even though, like Israel was always so unfaithful to you, you remained faithful to them. Likewise, we know that if we're in Christ, even when we fall, you are there not only to pick us up, but to carry us. Father, we don't know what kind of furnaces we're going to be threatened with tomorrow or the next day, but I do know that you're going to be faithful regardless. And so I pray that we would be found faithful as well. And if there be anyone here who doesn't have that kind of faith, who hasn't wholly trusted in you, isn't wholly trusting in you tonight, I pray, Father, that you will draw them to yourself. And for those who do know you, Father, for those who are known by you, help our unbelief. Build us up in the most holy faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.